Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. In 1916, the film industry changed forever. You see, Hollywood has always been known for making films, theatrical things, and movie productions. But in the year of 1916, a group of individuals came together to make the very first film of its kind. And ever since then, literally hundreds of films like this have been produced by not just Hollywood, but all over the globe. You see, in 1916, a science fiction drama film was directed by August Blom and written by Otto Rung, starring Olaf Fons and Ebba Thompson. The film depicts a worldwide catastrophe when an errant comet passes by the earth and causes many natural disasters and absolute total social unrest. The crew who staged these events on film created special effects for the comet disaster using showers of fiery sparks and shrouds of smoke. The film attracted a huge audience because of the fears that generated during the passing of Halley's Comet in 1910, as well as the ongoing turbulence and unrest during World War I. What was the title of this film? Well, it was originally called The End of the World. In 19, excuse me, in 1916 is when it came out originally. And in 2006, they altered the title of, the, of the, the movie and it was released by DVD called The Flaming Sword. I find it interesting that ever since this movie came out in the early 1900s, so many dozens and scores and literally hundreds of movies have been made by producers to depict their interpretation of what the world will be like when it ends. Today, my friends, we don't have to go to a movie theater. We don't have to go to Walmart and buy a DVD. We don't have to open up Netflix or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus to, to watch a film that's going to reveal to us what the world is going to be like when it ends. I submit to you today that we have God's inspired television screen right here in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 21, we see that God is revealing to us not Hollywood's interpretation, but John's own vision, how he was caught up to heaven, and now he's looking down to earth to see what it's going to be like in the end of the world. And I want you to understand this. We have a gracious God because he has revealed to us the ending all the way from the beginning. That is, if we were to just open up God's word and read for itself, ourselves, what it says, then we will come to the understanding of how God's word is, is true in the beginning and in the middle and in the ending. And today, as, as we come to this passage of Scripture, earlier in chapter 9, we observe the demonic invasion, that these locusts, these demonic locusts were unleashed from the very lowest abyss of hell, Tartarus. And now as we come to this scene in Scripture, we see no longer a demonic invasion, but the title of my sermon today is these three words, the demonic destruction. The demonic destruction. 
Understand this, that in the first section of this chapter, men were being tormented for five months by these demonic locusts that had scorpion-like tails, and they were being stung, and they were being hurt, and they were being pained. In every way, they were being plagued by torments, and they could not have death. They were seeking death, but for five months, the Bible reveals to us that they could not go through death. And now, my friends, we're going to see in this section of Scripture that the Bible reveals to us that the world will walk through the doorway of death like no other. And in fact, the way I would like to summarize this section of Scripture and really to summarize the whole content of this chapter, or at least this portion of the chapter, is this statement. And if you walk away or leave today with any thought about this section of God's Word, this is what I want you to walk away with. The sovereign God uses the demonic destruction to judge one-third of the unrepentant sinners with death in the great tribulation. Let me say that again. The sovereign God, remember, the book of Revelation reveals to us that God is sovereign. That is, he is on his throne, orchestrating all these things that take place and using it all to accomplish his will. So the sovereign God uses the demonic destruction to judge one-third of the unrepentant sinners with death in the great tribulation. Now, as we've just read this passage of Scripture, I begin to ask myself a question. As I begin to think about all these films and movies that Hollywood and others have produced over the centuries and really over the, the decades in the last century, I begin to ask myself, is this passage of Scripture fictional fantasy or factual reality? That is, is this section of Scripture a figment of John's imagination or is this the sovereign words of inspiration. Today, my friends, I want to share with you that I believe that this is a great reality that's going to take place. That is, that just as real as you're sitting there and just as real as I am standing here today or just as real as you might be sitting at home listening, we see that this passage of Scripture is just as real as all of us and it will take place in the future. So this section of Scripture is not fictional fantasy. It is factual reality. And today I want to share with you three realities, three great realities from this passage that we can understand, not just about the future, but about our day today. Will you come with me as we walk through this section of scripture? In verses 13 through 15, I want to share this first of three factual realities or reality checks. Sometimes we have to have our realities checked. You ever been to a hockey game? Years ago, we would go to the Roanoke Express game when they were, used to be called the Roanoke Express. And my favorite part about watching hockey was to see these men plow each other and check themselves into the boards. It was fun for me to watch them throw down their gloves and get out their arms and go at it at each other. Well, I submit to you today that, that as we come to this passage, there are some reality checks that God is trying to check us with in our life today. And look at verses 13, 14, and 15. The first of three thoughts I'm going to share with you is this. This is reality check number one. Listen carefully because this is so true. In fact, all of these things are so true, but not always emphasized in our world today. Satan and all the demonic forces are under the authority of the sovereign God. Satan and all the demonic forces are under the authority of the sovereign God. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, And the sixth angel sounded. Here we see 
the indignation. That is the sixth angel sounds, the sixth trumpet judgment of indignation. Here we see that God is unleashing the sixth trumpet sound, and then a judgment is going to unleash into this world. Notice so far we've seen five trumpet judgments, and the trumpet judgments are in the seventh seal. So you have seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls, or as the King James says, seven vials. And at the seventh seal, it unlocks the seven trumpets. And at the seventh trumpet, it unlocks the seven bowls or the seven vials. And so here we see the sixth trumpet judgment is being unleashed and it is going to bring God's judgment and God's righteous indignation to this world. So many people try to to distinguish the difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. They say that the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment and fury, but the God of the New Testament is a God of love and mercy. And we, we speak about this often here. But understand this, that here is the New Testament and God is revealing to us that one day he will pour out his judgment on this world. And here we see a form of that judgment. Now notice the last part of verse 13. We see the indignation here, but then we see the declaration in the last part of verse 13 and then the Verse 14, understand this, that as we understand that this angel is coming and is making this sound with his trumpet, he blows it. As soon as he blows the sound of that trumpet, the Bible says in verse 13, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Let's pause right here. Understand this, that in the Old Testament, God gave Moses the plans to erect a tabernacle, a place of worship, just like God gave to David and Solomon, the plans to erect and build the temple. We see that in the Old Testament, they were given stipulations about these different things inside the place of worship. And in the tabernacle, there was, there was really, in the Old Testament place of worship, there was two altars. You had one on the outside and one on the inside. And then we've talked about this before. But here we see that, that the, the imagery that God gave to Moses is a representation of what it's going to be like in heaven. And there is an altar. And we've seen this altar, the golden altar mentioned so far. And this is the place where the prayers of the saints go up before God. And I like what, what John MacArthur said when he was speaking about this golden altar and about the Old Testament altar, about how it is in the altar where we have access to God. He said this, this illustrates the important biblical truth that atonement provides the basis for prayer, worship, and communion with God. No one whose sins have not been atoned for has access to God. In other words, the altar throughout the Old Testament and into, he into heaven is a symbol that if you want access to God, you have to come through the ways that God has described. And we understand this, that 2,000 years ago, the greatest altar on the earth was erected and it was the cross of Christ. And the only way we can have access to God right now is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, today's the day that you need to bow down before him and confess that he is Lord. You either do that in this life or the life to come. If you do that in this life, you'll have everything to gain in heaven. But if you do it in the life to come, you'll have everything to lose in a devil's hell. And so we see this altar before God. And it's interesting here. It speaks about there was a voice that came out of the horns, the four horns of the golden altar. And I begin to ask myself, what, what exactly does this mean? So either three things, and to be completely honest with you, I don't think we know. First of all, the horns themselves could be speaking. It's a possibility. But nowhere in the book of Revelation do we see that a specific object speaks. So we might be able to rule that one out. Secondly, maybe an angel around the altar is speaking and giving this word. 
or thirdly, it is the voice of God. Whatever it is, when we get to heaven, we'll find out together. But then in verse number 14, the Bible says that, that this is what the voice said. It said to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great Euphrates. So far, we've seen here in these, this first section about Satan and all of the demonic forces are under the authority of the sovereign God. We've seen the indignation here in verse number 13. We've seen the declaration here this angel makes. And, and then we see, look in number 15. Verse number 15, it says, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Here we see the incarceration. The four angels are loosed from their incarceration. There is never a passage of scripture where good angels are bound and tied up and locked away. So it leads me along with a whole host of scholars to believe that these are not angelic beings in heaven, but these are fallen angels that we call demons. And here I want you to understand this that Satan is now the prince of the power of the air. And in, 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 similar, in, in some regards, Satan is, has control over the governments of this world. He has control over the affairs of this age. And he has control over the demonic forces of hell. But here in this verse, the Bible speaks about how these individuals, these angelic beings, these fallen angels were locked away in Euphrates. Now, the river Euphrates... There, there's, there's a lot going on here in this passage. Time doesn't really allow us to really develop this thought of Euphrates. But let me briefly say this, that before the flood, the Euphrates River was like the place to be. And then after the flood, Noah and his family get off the ark and either they saw the exact Euphrates River that they saw before the flood, or they just said, this looks like Euphrates River and we're going to call this Euphrates River. And so this could very well be, and it, actually it is, I don't fully understand this. And to be honest, we don't fully understand the details of this compartment in the Euphrates River. But most likely what it is, it is a doorway that goes down to the abyss right there in the Euphrates River. And these four angels have been locked away. Some commentators even have speculated that at some time in their existence, they were leading some of the ancient powerful empires who were hostile towards the word of God, such as Rome and Greece and Babylon and Assyria. Could be. But I like the phrase here in verse 15. It says that these were prepared after they were unbound. That's what the word loose means, to be unbounded by the shackles of chains. And then it says, which were prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year. One commentator said, God's actions are not accidental, but planned and precise in time to the point of a fixed hour, of a fixed day, of a fixed month, of a fixed year. All the forces of history are under God's sovereign control. Even the forces of darkness, even Satan himself cannot do what God doesn't allow him to do. The forces of hell or demons and, or devils, as the King James says, are bound by the sovereign hand of God and are not allowed to do anything that God doesn't allow 
them to do. And it's interesting here in this passage, we see that just as, just as God appointed his only begotten son, as Brother Joel was speaking about in Sunday school, how from the, from the, from the foundation of the world, Jesus was, was foreordained to go to the cross. And we see right here in God's sovereign providential plan, these four angels were going to be thrown into this place of incarceration to one day be loosed to judge the world through death. And here the Bible says that they're going to slay They're they're going to kill. They're going to annihilate. They're going to destroy a third part of the world. John Wolverd said this about these angels. He said, good angels are never bound. So we have to believe that these are fallen, demonic angels who fell underneath the influence of Lucifer many, many, many years ago. Now, the reality check number one is this. It's not a very popular idea. But Satan and all the demonic forces are under the authority of the sovereign God. Just like I am, just like you are, just like every nation in the world, just like even Satan himself is. We are all under God's authority. God is the one sitting on the throne of the universe. And he is the one establishing his will from the beginning to the ending he declares it to be. So is this passage a fictional fantasy or a factual reality? I submit to you today that this passage is one of the greatest realities of the world in which we live. Revealing us that God's day of judgment, God's wrath is going to be poured out. The sovereign God uses the demonic destruction to judge one third of the unrepentant sinners with death in the great tribulation. And that leads us to the second reality check. So, so far, we've seen that God, in a sense, has pushed us into the boards of his spiritual hockey rink. And we've seen the first reality check. But now, what about the second reality check? It's found in verses 16 through 19. And here it is. Listen carefully. Reality check number two is this. This world and all of humanity will be judged by the almighty sovereign God. This world and all of humanity will be judged by the almighty sovereign God. In other words, here's how we view this passage. I know that you might be thinking, wow, this seems like a Hollywood movie that's all made up. How can I wrap my mind around it? And to be honest, we won't fully wrap our minds around God's word and passages like this until God gives us full, complete illumination in heaven. But here's what I want you to understand about this text. Here's another thought that if you leave with anything, leave with this. There are times when God uses evil to judge evil. There are times when God uses evil to judge evil. The Bible says that hell is a place prepared for Satan and his angels. In other words, fallen demons. We see that hell is a place reserved for the wicked and the unregenerate. And it's a place where for all eternity, they will be judged over and over, day after day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, century by century, millennium by millennium, for all eternity. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to the cross and there he judged our sin so that we could not, so that we could escape the wrath of God. But these inhabitants of the world in the future are living in such a way that they don't care about God's word anymore. They don't care about the good news of the gospel. They don't care about the good news of the sovereign God. And they have hardened their hearts to his word. 
But as we come here to this passage, I want you to understand this. If there's an army mentioned here, and the army is the agents in which God uses. In verse 16, we see the calculation of the army. And I understand this. There are some people who are going to associate this army with Revelation chapter 16 and the army of the battle of Armageddon, but I submit to you it's not that. That's underneath bowl number six. This is actually trumpet number six. The seven bowls come under the scene at the seventh trumpet being blown. And we see here that, that this is not just due to the description, and we'll get to it in just a few moments, but this is actually not a human army. I believe this army is a demonic army just by the description, and we'll get into it. But check it out now. In verse number 16, it gives us the calculation of this demonic army. It says, the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000. 000. In other words, 200 million people or beings John is seeing. And we ask ourselves the question, is this exact numbers or is it approximate? Well, there are times when John spoke about these thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands and he couldn't number them, innumerable. But here the Bible says, in fact, it says in verse number 16 that I heard the number of them. So I believe that, that John is given this specific number for a specific reason, to remind us that there are so many demonic spirits we have no idea how many there are. 200 million. These perhaps could be some of the demonic locusts who came out in the earlier chapter of nine. And then here we see these four leading angels who are bound in Euphrates now come on the scene and perhaps they gather all these demonic forces and now they're going to march through the portals of this earth and kill and kill and kill. In fact, in 1965, some of you may not want to admit it, but you were alive then. And Time Magazine came out with a special article on May 21st. And they actually said that they made the claim that China, at that time in 1965, had an army of 200 million people. Now in John's day, there would be no way they could have fathomed an army the size of 200 million. Legion means 6,000. And so they had legions of men in their battles in the Roman Empire, but they didn't have tens and hundreds of millions. And in fact, the highest number that John had in the Greek language saw him and told is myriad, and it just simply adds up to 10,000. That's why in the Greek Bible, they don't list out 200 million like we do in, in passages like this when we begin to understand what it means. So John couldn't fathom this, but we live in an age where we could clearly understand that it is possible for an army to be this size. Now, whether China actually has that size of an army or not, we know that China and India host the largest nations in the world. Over a billion people populate both of those nations individually. Ours is the third largest, so that I'm told, and we have over 300 and some million people, nowhere close to them. But now look at verse 17. We've seen the calculation of this army, but now let's check out the identification of this demonic army. Why do I believe it's a demonic army? Well, I believe it's demonic because in the way it's being described. There's similes, that is a figure of speech using the, the term like or as to describe such things. And we see John did that with these locusts earlier in the chapter, and now he's doing it again 
here in this chapter. In fact, in, 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 in the gospel of Luke chapter 10, the Bible speaks about Jesus. When he's speaking about Satan and demonic forces, he likens them to scorpions. And remember in chapter nine, the first section, we, sp- we spoke about how these individuals had tails that were like in the scorpion tails. And then he speaks of them as like serpents. And here we see that this demonic force in the second half of chapter nine had tails like snakes. Verse 17, the Bible says, And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth, and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire, and smoke, and brimstone. We know that the Bible speaks about demons, how they have a whole lot. We read about how one individual in the gospel, Mark chapter 5, was was possessed with a legion of demons. So he had thousands of demons inhabiting him. And it is very possible that that's still going around today. That men and women, maybe the reason why so many men and women are so crazy and far-fetched in their thinking today is because maybe they're just possessed by demonic spirits. But as we read this passage, we think, wow, this sounds like, this sounds like something from, from, from a crazy fantasy novel or, or movie made up. But here's what Dr. Henry Morris said about this specific passage. Dr. Henry Morris, by the way, was a professor at Virginia Tech, wrote a book called The, the, the Genesis Record back and either the 70s or 60s, I can't remember when exactly, along with John Wickham. And there he was, in a sense, a leader to bring us back to an understanding of the authenticity of the first few chapters of Genesis. But he said this, no doubt all this sounds fantasy-like and impossible. So commentators have invented all sorts of figurative meaning to apply to these deadly horses. But these are not the first fire-breathing animals the earth has seen. Ancient nations everywhere describe fire-breathing dragons which formerly existed on earth. And the Bible describes at least one such creature called Leviathan. In fact, you can go read Job chapter 41. That whole chapter speaks about this creature named Leviathan. Morris went on to say, There are many indications that these dragons were actually dinosaurs. And the fossil evidence does show structures on at least some dinosaurs that could well have served as mixing chambers for flammable chemicals that could be expelled in the form of fire and smoke. John is merely describing what he saw. So listen, if we cannot believe the oldest book ever written in the book of Job, then surely we won't believe this book, the last one ever written in scripture. We see their identification as they are demonic. But then in verse number 18 and 19, we see the devastation of this demonic army. Earlier in chapter six, we read about how one fourth of the population died. And now we read one third of the population will die. Now, just, let's just assume right now that the population of the world will be the same as it is right now when this event takes place. So let's, let's say 8 billion people. 
And so I am no mathematician and no mathematics professor in a university, but I am somewhat decent enough to figure out that one-fourth plus one-third will equal about one-half of the population. So imagine if there's eight billion people in the world, at this point, four billion people will die. Can you imagine? The funeral homes will be so busy, they won't have enough time to have the services. And we see in verse number 18 and 19, the Bible says that, that by these three was third part of men killed. It says by fire, smoke, and brimstone, which came out of their mouths. Then verse number 19, it says for their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like serpents and had heads and with them they do hurt. Now, I want you to understand there's been many commentators throughout the, the years that have come to this section of scripture and they've tried to interpret it in a way that says, oh, well, these are just helicopters and, and army tanks and, and all the different warfare of our day. Maybe it is, but it probably is not. I believe John is describing some type of demonic forces that he can hardly describe with his limited language being transported 2,000 plus years into the future. One commentator said, men will be consumed in the flames, suffocated by the smoke, and poisoned by the sulfuric gases of these angels. My friends, it's not going to be a good day. And I want you to understand this, that this judgment is going to come upon these people. And when we read this passage of Scripture, it, 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 in fact, when I read this, when I think about this horrific judgment, when I think about these horrific beings being unleashed, I think about surely the people on the planet will bow their knee and, and confess Christ as Lord and repent of their sin and, and come to him in faith. But the saddest part about this chapter is not the demonic locust in the first section. It's not these angels coming and, and this big army to annihilate a, a third part of the remaining population but is in verses 20 and 21 of mankind's utter refusal to repent of their sin. Reality check number one was Satan and all of the demonic forces are under the authority of the sovereign God. Reality check number two is this world and all of humanity will be judged by the almighty sovereign God. Now, let me just share this with you. If you think this judgment is horrific, you ought to wait till the judgment that will last for all eternity. So how does this apply to you and me? Well, we should get out into the, into the world and tell the world that, hey, Jesus died, he rose again, and judgment day is coming, and you can escape judgment day through faith in him. But now reality check number three is found in verses 20 and 21. This is so sad, but it is so true. Mankind's heart is wicked, blinded, and hardened towards the actuality of the sovereign God. Mankind's heart is wicked, blinded, and hardened towards the actuality of the sovereign God. The prophet Jeremiah, that weeping prophet of old, the lamenting prophet, he said that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
Paul said it like this. He said, there is none righteous. He said, there is none that does good. He says, there is no one that seeks after God. He said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said, the wages of sin is death. That is total separation from God in eternity. By this point in the tribulation period, most of the surviving unbelievers will have permanently made up their minds about Jesus Christ. And they will have permanently decided that they do not want to bow down in this life to that God. In fact, in verse number 20, the Bible reveals to us this thought. In fact, I want you to understand this, that, that the only reason why I am no longer considered wicked and blinded and hardened towards God is because God opened my eyes. The only reason why your heart, why you're not still blinded towards the word of God and the truth of scripture and the gospel is because God stepped in and through his Holy Spirit, he opened your eyes. And so understand this, in verse number 20, we see this thought, unless God intervenes, mankind will continue to partake in idolatry. Unless God intervenes, mankind will continue to partake in idolatry. In fact, in Deuteronomy, in Psalm, in Romans, and in Corinthians, the Bible says that these idols that are made by man are actually gods of the underworld. In other words, Behind these idols like Buddha, behind these idols like Confucius, behind these idols like Allah are actual demonic forces ruling those religions. And that's why it's so important that we understand the gospel in its entirety. We understand the truth of God's word so that we are not led astray to worship some false idol. Check it out now. Verse 20 says, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, that is these calamities that were given to this world by God, it says yet repented. This means they chose not to reverse their mindset about what they thought about God. It says that they should not worship devils or these demonic beings. And then it says in idols of gold, Silver, brass, and stone, and wood. The, 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 the gods of, of these, these artifacts such as gold, silver, and brass, and stone, they would have to heat them up, and they would have to form them into an image. And wood, they would go into these factories or these places, and they would carve out these idols. And listen, when I went, when I went on a cruise in 2020, right before COVID, and I think it was either January or February when I went out there, I went to go see the Aztec ruins and I went on an excursion and we got in this bus and we drove out to this big old pyramid. And while we were on this way to this big old pyramid, the tour guide passed around this little artifact that fit in the palm of my hand. And he said, this was one of the gods of the Aztec Indians. And let me just respectfully say this, that if any god could fit in the size of your hand that God is not worth worshiping. If any God has been constructed mentally or physically by mankind, it is not worth worshiping. And so here we see that they are doing this. And these are the gods that cannot see, that cannot hear, and cannot walk. My friends, there was a day when I was slayed with idolatry but God opened my eyes to the true and living God. Then check it out now, verse 21. 
Remember, unless God intervenes, my heart will remain wicked, my heart will remain blinded, and my heart will remain hardened towards the truth of Scripture and the actuality that God is the sovereign God of the universe. But in verse 21, here's a thought. Unless God intervenes, mankind will continue to practice immorality. Unless God intervenes, mankind will continue to practice immorality. Can you imagine seeing 200 million demonic beings come and attack and kill one-third of the known popular of the population of the world? And then you refuse to bow to them. And in fact, the, the so-called gods that they worshipped of that day were the ones who were actually killing them. The irony of idolatry and the irony of immorality. Check it out now. They chose to not repent. In other words, they did not get right with God. And it says in verse 21, neither repented they of their murders. So they're going out in this age. There's going to be death. There's going to be slaughter. There's going to be killing and murdering like we've never seen before. And then it says, nor of their sorceries. This is the same word we get the word pharmacy from. And here it goes beyond just medicinal use of drugs. It goes into to elaborate on recreational use and the usage of drugs in demonic worship and in pagan worship. And in fact, that was a custom in the pagan world and in false religions even today that they utilize drugs that alter our state of mental capacity. And understand this, that, that God's will for every Christian is to, to live a sober lifestyle so that we will not get into the domain and territory of Satan. And there are times, even right now, that men uses the process of drugs or sorcery to enslave men and women all over this globe. So here, this word sorcery, it not only gives us this word, word pharmacy, but it also gives us this idea of magic and the wizard arts. This stuff is real. When I went to Haiti back in 2012, we heard about this witch doctor in one of the areas and villages. And so I went along with a team to go try to visit this witch doctor and try to share the gospel with him. And we knew that, that it's a witch doctor because what they would do, they would set an upside down cross and they would paint it black right outside of their home. And we got there and we knocked on their door, but nobody was home. But I submit to you today that, that this kind of influence is not just in the jungles of Africa or in the parts of villages of Haiti, but this kind of worship is here today. And then it says they didn't repent of not just their murders, not just their sorceries, but also neither their sexual immorality. Out of all the things listed here in this text, these four sins that John is elaborating on, the one that has hit our culture here in America more than the rest is sexual immorality. This word fornication is the same word we get pornography from. So this word gives the idea of any type of sexual sin, whether it is engaged in, in pornographic images or videos, or whether it's engaging in sex outside of marriage, or whether it's, in, it's engaging in an affair of not being faithful to, to your spouse, or whether it's engaging in, in uh, same-sex attraction or, or, or anything like that. Here, this is given the idea that, that they chose not to get right with God in their sexual sin. 
This verse reveals to us all that man loves their sin more than man loves God. In fact, before Jesus stepped into my life, I loved my sin more than I loved the God who made me. And then it speaks about thefts, this idea of, of stealing. All these things are going to rise to new heights and new levels in this age. But after all that they saw, they will continue to practice their immorality. And as I think about these two verses, here's another thought I want to share with you. Unless God intervenes, mankind will not repent of their sin nor profess faith in Christ of Calvary. Unless God intervenes, mankind will not repent of their sins nor profess faith in the Christ of Calvary. My friends, we've seen three reality checks. Three sobering reality checks here in this passage of Scripture. But I want you to know this. Where do you think Hollywood gets their inspiration for all these movies? I am inclined to believe, especially early on, that Hollywood began to get their inspiration for these apocalyptic, gloom and doom, end of the world movies from the book we hold in our hand called the Bible. Man is fascinated with the future. Man is fascinated with the, with the idea that a comet might hit the world or that these creatures like here in Revelation chapter 9 might overtake and kill us all. The hope found in this chapter is that if any person bows their knee and confess with their tongue, Christ is Lord, they will be saved. This section of scripture is very sobering to understand that one day we are going to see absolute devastation and destruction from these demonic forces. My friends, it's time that we lift high the name of Jesus and warn the lost of the soon coming judgment to this world. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.